0: Today, And I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity to speak with um, to uh, a gallerist and a curator who um, have been so instrumental in bringing artists, uh, working with artists, and showcasing their work internationally. And two colleagues that I really admire and, and have enjoyed uh, working with on, on occasion. So thank you for this invitation. Um, Rosie, sir, uh, probably doesn't need too much introduction to London-based uh, audiences. Um, Rose is a curator, writer, and producer who has championed uh, visual art and film from the Middle East for more than 30 years. Um, since the 80s, um, the 1980s, Rose has showcased upcoming and established artists, produced exhibitions uh, with public and private institutions uh, all over the world, and has run a publishing program as well, and I think that's ongoing yes, as well. Yes, um, Having held exhibitions at Rose Esa Projects uh, in London from 2008 to 2014, which is when we also collaborated, when uh, Rose participated in, in Art Dubai. Um, is not working? On it. Did anybody hear all of that? Um, so, is that better? Can everyone hear me now? Um, so, Rose ran a gallery called Rose Issa Projects uh, between 2008 and 2014 in London, and now frequently lends works and co-curates exhibitions with international public and private institutions. Uh, I think recent uh, places of collaboration have included the Guggenheim New York, Uppsala Art Museum in Sweden, the Museum of Fine Art in Boston, the Smithsonian in Washington, uh, Crawford Art Gallery in Cork, Tate Britain, the Victorian Albert Museum, amongst many others I think over the years. Um, Rose was also a jury member for National Pavilions at the 50th uh, Venice Biennale, which was in 2003, and has sat on the jury for the Arab British Centre in 2013. And she's worked in, as, as an advisor, on, particularly on Iranian and Arab film, for festivals uh, for many, many years, uh, particularly London, Rotterdam, and Berlin. And Selma Feriani, who I, last, <laughs> who I last saw in, in Tunis at your, well, in um, Sidi Bou Said, where you, you run a gallery in, in, in Tunis, yeah. um, is based between London and, and Tunis. Uh, I think you began uh, working as a financial analyst, so out of the art world in in London, while collecting and also um, participating in uh, educational programs, including courses at Christie's. Um, And in 2007, uh, Selma opened her first gallery on Maddox Street here in London and providing a platform for emerging artists from the Arab world, Latin America and elsewhere. And drawing on that experience in the UK, Selma then opened a branch of her uh, gallery in, the, in your native city where you, yeah. where you grew up, in Tunis, yeah. uh, specifically the uh, suburb of Sidi Bou Said, which if, no, if you haven't been to, you have to. It's just the most beautiful place yeah. and really incredible view from your gallery as well. Yeah. Um, I think you opened there in 2013? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And looking to bridge the gap between the local art community and the international art scene. Uh, The space hosts solo and group exhibitions uh, alongside with artist residencies and projects. And uh, Selma also has a booth exhibition here at 154. Which is your booth number? Uh, G16. At G16, so downstairs, with a really beautiful uh, small exhibition here. Um, So we wanted to... Koyo asked us to really think about this year's focus on North Africa and its relationship with the rest of the continent, and also to address the kind of geopolitical fragmentations of Africa in different zones and how this has played out in marketing artists. So it's great to have this opportunity to speak with both of you about this. Um, Before we begin, I just wanted to note some of the geographies that we'll be referencing and their overlapping and sometimes very confusing and sometimes even redundant nature. So, um, I mean, coming from the perspective of Art Dubai, our mandate is to be the fair for the Middle East and South Asia. Sometimes North Africa is included in the Middle East, along with Iran and Turkey. Sometimes not. Sometimes North Africa is treated completely separately, and the acronym that binds all these together is used as MENASA: the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. Recently, I had a new acronym where Africa, the whole continent, is tacked on the end of this acronym, so it becomes MANASA, with some A's on the end, or another one where Africa is in the middle, so it becomes MENASA which is even more awkward to kind of say. And then sometimes, uh, you know, we can complicate things further by referring to the Arab world, where if you take the Arab League, for example, uh, that collection of countries not only includes the most obvious uh, Arabic-speaking or Arabic uh, content-producing countries, such as Egypt or uh, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, the, the Gulf, but also, of course, Djibouti, Mauritania, Somalia, Sudan... And other countries that are more dotted throughout the continent of Africa, and then the Arab world without Africa is sometimes referred to as West Asia, depending on where you're sitting in the world. And in the Gulf, you know, we find ourselves hopping between being part of West Asia, the Middle East, the Arab world, and any other acronym or uh, geographical uh, boundary that we can we can produce. So. I mean, I'll stop there before we get into all the terms that the uh, that the African continent is divided by or, or termed by, because that even gets more complicated. But the point of kind of bringing this up, I guess, is to really emphasize uh, that these these terms are, of course, um, in- entirely subjective. Uh, colleagues who sit in Hong Kong refer to us as being part of West Asia. We are often part of or in- included North Africa as part of... Th- the African continent, other times part of the Middle East. And rather than sort of get bogged down in these geopolitical terms or debates, whether they're imposed or not or how useful they are and how they provide a shortcut, I think what we want to talk about today is the ways in which these terms have been used in the art world, how uh, artists have kind of navigated them, how you as gallerists and also as curators have navigated these terms and how they've been absorbed or debated once uh, artists travel outside those kind of boundaries um, so I wanted to start actually with just asking both of you to paint a little bit of a picture of the ways in which you've you 've worked and uh, the the ways in which you 've navigated these terms um, Rose, I think we first met in in the late '90s when I was working at fiden and you, we were doing uh, you were doing a book then um, but I think one of the most groundbreaking um, exhibitions in London that you brought was in 2001 when you brought the Iranian contemporary art exhibition that you did at the Barbican to London at a moment when I guess uh, Iranian art was seen as uh, something quite exotic and and groundbreaking people didn't really know uh, the art or the artists very well and Mm -hmm. it was a time that would then herald I guess through the 2000s a real shift in the way that the art world has understood its centres you know, rather than, uh, I think it's now kind of understood that London, Paris, New York are not perhaps the only centers, that there are others that exist as well. So maybe you could just give us a little bit of a background to your Uh, career that way. Sure, Uh, I can speak on that. Can I have the first image, please? Thank you. Um, I think
1: that was a a groundbreaking, but well before that there were many groundbreaking exhibitions that I organized not only at the Barbican in uh, 1995, uh, this is before even then. This was, I happened to buy in Venice to discover for the first time, totally by chance in 88, the work of an African artist who's Arab-African, he's from Nubia, Sudanese, Egyptian, mixed living in Italy with the Italian at the Italian pavilion. And I was extremely proud to discover uh, Fatih Hassan's work in, in, in that uh, Venice Biennale. Uh, next, please. Uh, we don't stay very, it wasn't, that's him uh, twenty years later, working with the Smithsonian or Newark museum and other museum <laughs> doing the, and at the beirut art center uh, 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 doing uh, those texts that that are relevant to today and so on of course not all, not all his work is calligraphical next please can i change uh, can I commend the, the thing is here thank you uh, i Sorry, it shouldn't be Magicien de la Terre. I don't know why it moved to that. Uh, uh, Le Magicien de la Terre should have been yes, uh, not yes. Magicien de la Terre. For I, many of you are very young, but in 1989, one of the first exhibitions that I saw in Paris, that was quite controversial at the time. But was the first time that African artists, Asian, Chinese, everybody, Brazilians were involved on the same level than Western artists. Was the Magicien de la Terre in? For those of you who who haven't, uh, please Google and find out and try to find the book. Last year, they celebrated the 25 years of that show. And for the first time, I saw magnificent work by African artists in Saint-Pompidou and Parc de la Villette. So I think it it was a great... uh, That was a a, a very... uh, But meanwhile, I did small exhibition of people like Nja Mehdawid from Tunis in uh, Leighton House Museum in Soas. We started very small. And we moved on to a bigger, uh, um, uh, other exhibition. That is for me, since we're talking of Africa not of of Iran, uh, the exhibition that, that was extremely important. In 95, there was a whole festival in London called Africa 95, where all the venues from Royal Academy to to everybody was mobilized on presenting one aspect of African art. And that was a fantastic debate. Because from BFI who showed African cinema, to publications that we did on African cinema and so on, to exhibitions all over, from Barbican at the top floor, this was at the concourse, uh, which had several African artists. I had to fight to include North Africa within Africa. I said, but this geographically is one third of it. And initially everybody was thinking sub-Saharan and so on. And I said, no, if it's a matter of color, we have black artists in Morocco, everywhere. And and you have in South Africa, white artists or in Zimbabwe, the artists that were presented. So it's not a matter of color. It's a matter of the roots people choose and how they choose there to be presented. So this was a work by uh, Ahmed Mustafa, a wonderful Egyptian artist. Uh, Osman Wagyala, one of the uh, pioneering, um, also Sudanese artists in that desk. This is a work of 1952. Uh, these are works by uh, Libyan artists, uh, Ali Omar Hermes and Rashid Qureshi at the Concourse Gallery in 95. It was really, I had tons of compliments for top galleries in London. It was hardly advertised, but during Africa 95, I did six exhibitions, four at the Leighton House, one at the, two in the Barbican, one in African textile with Carol Brown, and this one at the Concourse, and also I advised Tate um, Liverpool on, uh, this is Nira Mehdawi, uh, there were another exhibitions, tiny exhibition that we did in Leighton House that later toured to many places like uh, Yorkshire Cultural Park and later on to Amsterdam, Abderrazak Sahli, another Tunisian artist. Sorry, let me just go back. Another Tunisian artist uh, who unfortunately died, I think, uh, maybe two years ago, a year ago. Yes, and uh, that you exhibited actually also in Tunis, but that was his first. At that time, We had little support. There was only visiting arts. Delfina Studios, where he stayed. So it was really very, very modest catalogs, modest exhibitions. It has nothing to do with today when you go at the bookshop here and you see those magnificent books on African art. And it's such a delight to see the changes within the last 20 years where the number of museums have evolved, the number of art fairs, including African artists, wherever they are, whether they are African artists from America, from Brazil, from Europe, or for anywhere else, or how they call themselves, because that's another issue, whether they want to be within uh, a geography. Another solo exhibition was by an Egyptian artist, Shanta Vedicien, who's Armenian, Egyptian, at the Leighton House also. This exhibition, for example, the majority of the works were acquired by the Smithsonian, National Museum of African Art in in Washington, D.C. The reason being at that time, uh, there was a wonderful guy, uh, both of them, the directors Sylvie and Philip Ravenhill now, both died, but they started acquiring en masse, almost, African artists. A lot of future collectors like Saleh Hassan, and all these people came in 95 to London in order to see the 20 venues mobilized to promote uh, African art. So for me, 95 was a key moment, Africa 95, to promote those artists. This, this is right after the, for example, the exhibition of Leighton House, not only Smithsonian acquired work, but Quan invited uh, Champ, uh, Rotterdam, Copenhagen, exhibited those artists that you saw in science traces and calligraphy. So it was very quick. There, there was a, a need for uh, other representation. And that worked very quickly to different places all over Europe. Uh, Many of these exhibitions, yes, I traveled, as I said, to Troppen Museum, and uh, to Copenhagen Africa Festival, and so on. Belkahia was at the Tate Liverpool. The conditions for, at that time, for a big institution like Tate, that's why I'm doing publications now, is that how many monographs do you have on an artist before we take it? Even if they like an artist, they wouldn't take it. And uh, Farid Belkahia was the only one in 1993 when they were preparing the exhibition on whom I had several monographs because Morocco was one of the few countries in the Arab world that had publications because the bank supported it, and uh, the the bank published books, the the government itself was supportive of the art scene, the embassy here promoted, uh, uh, sponsored, even if it's modestly with wine and so on, but they always sponsored uh, uh, the promotion of Africa. Other artists that were well promoted in, uh, were well known in France, but very little known in London was Rashid Foreshi, for example. Later, all these works were to the Smithsonian. Two, two years later, at the Sackler, both because he's Arab and African, part of his collection went to the Sackler, which is more Arab-Islamic, and the other part went to the African uh, Museum. Uh, the, I also want to talk about failed ventures. For example, this was when Biblioteca uh, bibliotheca from the Alexandria, the big library of Alexandria opened. I wanted to, uh, we were invited to do a solo show for Ahmed Mustafa, but the infrastructure of Arab countries and most of the African countries, unfortunately, was so weak that they wouldn't accept to not to open, for example, the crates at the airport. We knew that it would be damaged, the works. and. Ahmed Mustafa were very fussy, so anyhow, we did manage, despite the love of the director for a project like that for the opening, we didn't manage to do it. So there are lots of projects, but there was also not many venues to cater for African art at that time. Uh, between the 95 till uh, uh, 2000. Uh, so I did even a- exhibition, my ex-husband was uh, an archaeologist in Ethiopia, Yemen and elsewhere. So I did lots of exhibition on, on this country, Yemen, Ethiopia with artists who now, the three of them unfortunately uh, have passed away. Uh, and these were some of the, the when, when the success of Africa 95 created a buzz, and people from everywhere, all the institutions were starting to acquire African art. Uh, artists, Af- uh, artists here who were at the gas work. At that time, you know, we had only Delphina gas work, like uh, Johannes Pokela from South Africa, or Gottfried uh, Donker, and others uh, also like um, uh, uh, Indian artists and African artists, or even Richardson who's a British artist, but who, were, uh, who went to, uh, uh, to, to Africa and loved African sculpture. So I, I did roots not as R-O-O-T-S, because everything with Africa is related to the roots, but the roots you chose, the way you choose. For example, the Poquela's work was mostly from European, he's a wonderful craftsman and beautiful painter, but always he has a hint, you know, he, he cuts it, as if you have to cut a painting, and, uh, or uh, Gottfried Donkor, Uh, from Ghana who did From Slaves to champ series. That series that we exhibited at the uh, Brunei Gallery, which is in SOAS, School of Oriental and African Study, Uh, a lot of those uh, uh, works were acquired also by the National Museum of African Art and other museums later by Guthrie Donkor. So it wasn't that there wasn't an interest, it was just that we were not giving them the opportunity or enough exposure for those artists at that time. Uh, Since then, we have wonderful exhibition that happened uh, unfortunately, because I was told five minutes of presentation, I couldn't say, mention the many things that this was in Rotterdam, the unpacking Europe, about the relationship between Africa and other countries and Europe, where some of the North African, Yinka Shobinaro, of course, on the cover, Johannes Bokela that you just saw before from South Africa, Rashid Waishi Susan Hefuna from Egypt, Egyptian, uh, Egyptian-German artists, all of these people were included. Many of these artists, of course, have double and triple nationalities. Uh, you know, it's almost, the first, in the case of Susan Hefuna, she's Egyptian German. So she uses the techniques and the idea, the, the, the longest uh, uh, lattice screens of Egypt to say, you know, uh, this is long, knowledge is sweeter than honey, to express that how we need to improve and inform uh, the public. And uh, of course, for those of you, many are still too young to have been to that exhibition in 2004, maybe to Africa Remix at Hayward, which was also at the Pompidou Center and Imori Museum in Tokyo. And you you see uh, Zuleikha Bouabdala's work there that was first exhibited in in London. Uh, So London was really opening up to Africa. um, in, from 2000 onward. These are exhibitions that started at the Blue Bluecoat Gallery in Liverpool a few years ago, then later on I took it to, to Beirut by Chantal Edition. There are some 220 stencils of all the iconography of the Arab world. Uh, another work that was in the first actually Art Dubai that later was acquired by the uh, Guggenheim Abu Dhabi. Uh, it was a triptych. There are three panels to that, Nasser, and so on. Hassan Hajjaj, you have seen the little salon here, and also in galleries uh, downstairs, who he is represented by several galleries today. Uh, Taimur Grahmi here in New York represents him. And uh, uh, Batul Esheimi, who is a wonderful uh, Moroccan artist who works on all the domestic uh, tools that are uh, pressure cookers, buta and young generation doesn't know what is buta gas, but we know it in Africa and Middle East because the gas comes here in Europe directly. But these are, these are quite dangerous tools if you don't manipulate them well. So she put the map of the world, carved the word of, uh, map of the world on them to say you know, that the whole world is under pressure. She did it with, with footballs when the, the Mondial was on and so on. And finally, more recently, uh, we have, uh, I think somebody from Chobac was here, I wanted to say also that young artists, uh, calligraphy artists like El Cid were invited in Shubak uh, Festival. Today we have Noor Festival who deals with Arab, uh, North African art and also African. Their door is quite open and much more welcoming today uh, to those artists uh, and we can see it actually to this art fair how many participants there are, the standard and the quality of the work that are presented. Thank you.
0: That was a simple introduction, sorry.
1: <laughs> thank
0: you. Thank you so much, Rose, and also for your, for your speed and keeping the time. <laughs> you yeah. said five minutes. I tried to do it in five that's minutes. 20 <laughs> years in five minutes is like a record, so thank uh-huh. you. Um, Selma, yeah, I'd like to just ask you to maybe do the same. Maybe, I don't yeah. know if you can meet the same speaker, <laughs> but just okay. to give us a little bit of an outline of your
2: Exactly, yeah. We, oh, uh, I opened the gallery here in 2007, uh, showing artists from the Middle East and uh, North Africa. Uh, so we were like presenting uh, exhibition every two months um, here in London and, and I must say at the beginning it was quite difficult because people would come and they never heard of the artists we were showing so and as Rose said we didn't have enough publications and enough uh, documents to um, to support uh, our exhibitions so we started uh, uh, with our means to make uh, catalogs and try to uh, uh, to take uh, images uh, in their studios, how they work, uh, and etc. cetera. Uh, our, really, our start and where we started really showing our artists and, um, and promoting them what was for us our Dubai, actually. So it was for us the most important platform at that time where we could uh, take our artists and, and um, exhibit and, uh, and make more sales, because I must say that in London it was quite difficult to... Uh, to uh, to sustain uh, a good uh, return in terms of uh, sales. So we had, uh, it was quite important for us to meet also uh, collectors in the region and show the artists from North Africa there. Even though I would say Tunisian artists were uh, also uh, involved in Africa through les rencontres de Bamako, for example, so they were, um, they would feel also, of course, they're African, so... Showing there was yeah was also very very important. So I would say we were playing on both uh, on both sides uh, the uh, the Middle East, North Africa, and the African uh, uh, possi- both possibilities for us to. Um, but now I think with this fair, for example, uh, it, it's um, we can really say okay we are here. We show only like Tunisian. Uh, Algerian, Moroccan artists, so focus on um, on North Africa, yeah. which in what we did in our Dubai was more from the Middle East. So we would show uh, Lebanese artists and, uh, and and so on. So uh, in 2013, you want to show? Uh, you want I, to I think there is some, yeah. In 2013, after eight years in London, I decided to open a gallery back home. I felt that. I could maybe do something different there, and with my little expertise, I'm able to maybe change uh, the, the art scene there, and especially how it works in terms of uh, galleries, because there they were already galleries in Tunisia, but um, mainly uh, uh, galleries either as dealers or working on one-off projects. So they were not really uh, working with the artist, uh and, and uh, producing the work and the c- cataloging and working like on a, uh, intensively. So it was like more of a either group show or one off project. So I, I tried to do things I mean, the way we do it in London and, and elsewhere. Uh, and this is our space in Tunisia. So when I decided to, uh, to open a space there, I, I thought I'm not gonna go for a white cube model, but I'll take um, an old house in Sidi Said keep the architecture and and modernize uh, modernize it and make it like uh, that could welcome uh, contemporary exhibitions. So that was also important for me because we were inviting artists to come and spend time in Tunisia and work on uh, site-specific works. I think for them it was quite interesting because the shape of the gallery uh, is quite interesting so they could uh, these are like this was the first show. It was a Tunisian artist called Amel Benis. Uh, I'm gonna just quickly. Yeah. This is another Tunisian artist based in France, uh, Ismail Bahri. This is. We tried also to organize some talks and uh, create uh, like events, uh, and also link uh, the gallery space to the public space, which. Before the revolution was not really possible. We couldn't really use public spaces as we can use them today, which is also uh, this is upside down. <laughs> okay, well, this is uh, there is a patio in the middle, so we could like also use for. Um, This was uh, the show of Zeynep sijira who we invited to uh, uh, to spend some time in Tunisia and uh, show her um, her work with us. And, uh, yeah, and this is a, uh, and this was the last show of Yunus a uh, Moroccan artist, who came and spent time in Jerba in the south uh, and created this specific installation uh, for uh, for the gallery uh, after spending. Uh, a few weeks uh, in Tunisia. So we try to uh, invite artists to come and work uh, within the Tunisian context. That's what we would like to, uh, to, to continue doing.
0: So to mix up your artists who come from other regions as well but make Tunisia the, the kind of focus.
2: Yes, mm. because I would like to, I think by bringing the artists and, and showing their work and by them spending time there, even the local artists who cannot necessarily move easily can um, learn and interact with these artists who are based elsewhere, so it gives, I think, a good opportunity to uh, to everyone to to connect and try to uh, yeah create create bridges and, and work together.
0: Well, I wanted to um, maybe just open. I mean, particularly because Rose, you you brought up the the topic of group shows and the ways in which. Um, Artists from the Middle East and also from the African continent, when showing abroad, have tended to be uh, shown under the prism of geography. I mean, it, quite often in group shows of, you know, here's a, a group show from, uh, of artists from Africa. Same with books, where the artists from Africa, despite it being such a, a huge continent of 54 countries, have often found themselves in one, monogra- in one book or one encyclopedic show, and same with artists from the Middle East. And uh, while we do see an awful lot of progression these days in terms of artists receiving solo shows and being uh, collected uh, by museums in terms of uh, their position in, in terms of influence and the way they've influenced other artists, we still see this persisting, uh, this, the persistence of the group show. That yes. uh, yeah, regional group show in which artists are grouped by geography, whereas obviously in the Middle East we I don't think we've had an exhibition yet of you know artists from Europe or uh, American artists today or uh, you know these kind of great big uh, umbrella terms. So I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about yes, that. Yes, sure. Do you see that situation changing, or is it actually useful for artists to be grouped under such yeah, a geography? I don't know. Usually
1: artists themselves don't like to be categorized in any any field, you know neither by nationality they want to be individual artists. However, when there isn't enough documentation, uh, for example, you mentioned the exhibition of uh, Iran in 2001. Uh, my title for the exhibition was Borrowed Wear, not only because I was borrowing wears uh, from the Tehran Museum of Contemporary Art, because I think it's a concept, uh, the very um, Middle Eastern concept uh, in Arabic is kol azul, in Farsi in Migzarad, which is nothing is forever. Whether you're rich, you're poor, you're young, you're beautiful, uh, Nothing is forever, so nothing, uh, nothing stays for. None of the publishers, the like Barbican, nobody wanted those titles, so it became the title of my essay. The book was Iranian Contemporary Art, because also there is a selling point. There is nothing on Iranian, and if people want books on Iranian Contemporary Art, they have to Google, so there are three kids, Iran, Contemporary Art, and I had to sell it down. So the marketing is, is a big pressure mm-hmm. on many African, Mexican, North. Um, uh, for Europe less because you have a longer history. Today, this is no longer so much valid. For, for example, somebody like El Anatsui doesn't need uh, to put anything. It's just his name as an artist. Yinka Shabunari doesn't need. Susan Haifuna doesn't need. The majority of the artists, if they made it in the market, in the galleries, in the thing, have their name as the artist. If we have to go in the beginning through that filtering or to that representation because that's the only way I, I was not against it, I'm still not against it, if that gives an opportunity for the artist to set one foot in front. Uh, I, I will tell you Frankly, now at the moment I'm working on a, on, a, on a book 20 years after the exhibition of Sign Traces and Calligraphy because we did a catalogue, it was sponsored by Citibank and so on, but it was very modest and today I want to do something about another, one, one, one trend of the modernism And still, my publisher keeps saying, ooh, no, 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 you have to put Arab and Iranian thing. You have to put that how people are going, how am I going to market that book otherwise? So there is a pressure in terms of marketing of those artists that we have to say in the subtitle, something that sells the book. However, uh, and the curiosity is, had we had 200 books on the subject, I wouldn't have done that. Then people would know already who are the artists, Google the artists, and so on. So, uh, it has evolved a lot. There is lots of monographs today. There are lots of, uh, uh, lots of artists from Africa who are actually Europeans. Um, I mean, you cannot ask their nationality. It is impossible to know whose nationality is what and where they are living and where they are promoted. Uh, I just came from Beirut and there was a A Senegalese artist, for example, whose passport is French. It's not Senegalese, it's not Lebanese. His mother was Lebanese, his father was Senegalese ambassador. A fantastic work, how do you see? Not many people know about him. Of course, he's known in the very small group of uh, people in New York, in Paris, and in Beirut. Magnificent studio, you know, you want to promote these people. Now, if I have to go through, I don't know, an African art fair or another thing to promote them, I will. I will ask somebody here or somebody at Freeze, and whoever comes first can get it and then the artist will move on. The artists themselves don't like labels, rightly so. However, they are not ashamed of being, you know, African or uh, Iranian or Middle Eastern. There is, there is not, n- n- not, not a single American artist is embarrassed to be American. So why should we be embarrassed to be under that till we have enough publication, enough films, enough documentaries, enough uh, exhibitions and now you can see, if you go to Freeze, you do see artists from everywhere, including Africa. So,
2: although, yeah, although the number of changed. galleries
0: coming from, I mean, if you look at the number of, uh, you know, galleries coming from the Middle East or from Africa in Freeze is obviously a, a tiny representation compared to the no. European and, uh, and sure. American galleries. So, I guess in terms of kind of market power, there's still something to be Of course, of there. course. But also, I mean, I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about artists' careers and also the... Uh, the kind of dominance of artists living in the diaspora. I think you know when you talk to colleagues, especially uh, people running galleries, uh, gallerists, they'll often say, "Well, you know, you Google an artist's name who's gone through the path of studying abroad, you know, maybe establishing uh, a career abroad, and um, being able to have a passport that enables them to travel without spending most of the year trying to get visas." You know, these kinds of very practical things give those artists an advantage. And trying, in, uh, but then artists that are have decided to make a career you know, in the African continent, in the Middle East, are often in a very different set of circumstances, particularly when it comes to marketing and, and other people being able to access their work. So do you think, I mean, uh, there's obviously a, a sort of power, if you like, shift onto artists that are living oh, in the diaspora. Of
1: course. The, the, the thing is that the first generation, those who are my age and older, all studied in Paris at some stage is in 50, sorry. sorry, I keep... Uh, so in some ways, they had a foot here. Uh, They had a foot in Europe. For example, uh, Michel Tapier, who was a a, a wonderful art critic at that time, promoted a lot of artists from North Africa. Uh, You know, the thing is, in order to promote, in order to be in in big galleries like Fries and so on, you need to sell for big amounts for them to take you, because it costs to go to an art fair. Mm -hmm. And unless your prices have reached a certain amount, and this means that we need to have a base of collectors. We're just starting. I mean, we don't have enough Arab or African collectors who make the, the standard of the artwork high enough for galleries. The moment Farhad Moshiri reached 100, dollars $200,000, all the French galleries, Tadeus, Ropak, everybody, Jansen in Brussels, everybody jumped on them, and they take them. So when you reach a higher standard of value, all the galleries, whether from the east or west or some, want you because you bring money for them and then you are represented in, in the art fairs and so on. So what we need is to, to work toward that, build up an infrastructure, museums, you know, it's it, the infrastructure is quite weak still. Uh, we don't have proper, uh, I don't know, conservateurs, people who can restore a painting, or uh, I see the, the museums all over, uh, developing countries, you know, the storages are not up to the point. We, we need uh, collectors, we need the uh, art critics, we need the uh, publication, we need so many things that, uh, and I'm not criticizing that, I think it is happening, and it is happening. Uh, maybe the unfortunate thing is that even us, we're writing in the Western languages, we're writing it in English, we're writing it in French, in German, and so on. So the, even the documentation, for an African to have more documentation on himself, like me 30, 40 years ago, if I wanted to know about my, my countries like Iran or the Arab world, I had to come to Paris and here to find out the best books. Uh, this is still the center in terms of monopoly of knowledge. Uh, we don't have, Koyo can, can, can tell us whether we have good bookshops, libraries, and so on and so forth. And this is the missing thing. I mean, it doesn't come in one day, it takes time. But the moment, of course, the market uh, reacts and the artist price go up, uh, all the galleries will jump on those artists. El Anatsui, for years and years, were undervalued. For example, this is a man who is in his 80s now, and finally, October Gallery, and he has this loyalty, other artists would have jumped to another gallery, but he has this loyalty, uh, a wonderful loyalty, to October Gallery, still with them, while the prices has reached a million. And I'm sure lots of other galleries will be interested to present his work, if he can produce enough for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I mean, the way you described uh, the gallery being in C.D. Boussaid almost made it sound like a point of resistance, as well as a point of... Of education, So I just wondered if you could sort of dwell on that and also just maybe to uh, you know take up what, what Rose was saying about whether you find that your artists are now being shown in exhibitions, I mean I guess including the Venice Biennale, but in exhibitions that are not necessarily based on, on geography but instead on form or context or and enabling them to see their work alongside other artists from, yep. regardless of background and nationality.
2: Uh, Yeah, opening a gallery in Tunisia, obviously, I mean, uh, being a a country now uh, with uncertain uh, political and economic uh, future, uh, makes it obviously complicated. Uh, And then we are very kind of uh, very, uh, it's very bureaucratic when you wanna move uh, the art around. Uh, You need to uh, really uh, go through a very complicated process to be able to take works outside and show the artists in art fairs, even so, to receive money from artists, and to receive exactly so the the yeah the the, work, the artwork cannot circulate freely, like um, like anywhere else, uh, makes it more complicated as well, and we lose a lot of opportunities <laughs> to show uh, artists abroad. So they sometimes they don't make it, or they don't get a visa, or the work doesn't leave, etc. So. That's another uh, That's another problem. Then, uh, as Rose said, the collectors. I mean, they're very much... I mean, the collectors in Tunisia have been used to buy art for their homes, so many to decorate uh, their homes, uh, and not really follow an artist or... Um, and, and not yet to, uh, to... to know more about... Uh, Conceptual art, which we are like doing in Tunisia. So, but for me, it's important to do to do that and to show these artists and to uh, uh, and to help them um, uh, develop their career and their production and show them uh, uh, and show them abroad. Uh, some of them do leave and go and uh, finish their studies in France and, and, and you can see the difference there because once they leave and they, uh, uh, and they do their masters in, in Paris, for example, uh, you see the development in their practice and then they can meet interesting critics and journalists and then things um, I mean, become much, uh, uh, much better for them than only staying uh, in Tunisia. But, but it's important for us to do things uh, back home because we cannot say, okay, we cannot do it. We're just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna have my gallery in London and I don't care about what's happening there. No, I think we need to continue f- uh, fighting our way until uh, uh, things improve. Uh, but then we need the help of the government, which is not uh, happening. We need the help of the banks, for example, to help us uh, sponsor uh, uh, our uh, books uh, and documents, uh, help artists to uh, to travel for residency, so that's what we try also to to do with our artists based in Tunisia, to to connect them with, for example, Delfina Foundation, with uh, Gasworks, and, and try to... to um, yeah, to make them move and spend time uh, elsewhere—that's uh, yeah, that's one challenge.
0: But I wanted to ask you also about context. So, I mean, obviously, if you see—I mean, you mentioned Rashid Qureshi before, mm. for example, whose work uh, being seen uh, in a, amongst an audience that speaks Arabic and, and can read more into the work is obviously a very different context than that work being shown in a. Uh, a country uh, or in a city like London mm. where not everybody would be able to see or they would see the work in a slightly different way or same with, I don't know, Massanisa Salmani who has a talk here tomorrow, I think mm-hmm. Al but um, I mean seeing his work in the context of the Venice Biennale was a very different experience to uh, seeing it elsewhere or being able to read it within that kind of context, so I guess I'm uh, being slightly devil's advocate having, uh, you know, argued for artists being seen um, I think in it, in, terms, an, an event like
2: Venice Biennial for an artist is a turning point mm-hmm. so obviously he will have a lot of people interested in the work and people uh, just after Venice Biennial we received so many emails and people requesting about the work or uh, either to buy it or even curious to know who's this artist, what he's doing and we would like to receive more information about him so an event like that uh, yeah, attracts a lot of um, a lot of uh, interest. If I may correct, uh, Antonia, the work of Rashid
1: Goresh or Njah has nothing to do with the, uh, being able to read. Very often it is about the morphology of the letter. Very often it doesn't say anything. Sometimes when they collaborate with the poet, they, they do the text so that the Arabs can read, but truly, truly, it's an aesthetical thing. These are people who studied in, uh, in Paris and who are not even who are not interested in, 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 in really... Are, none of them call them to have a calligrapher, for example. No, yeah,
0: I didn't actually mean the, the reading literally, but I mean the, the understanding of the work or the, the way... Because we have artists quite often who will show in the context of... Uh, the Gulf, for example, and find that their work is received in a very different way or n- in a very nuanced kind of way, yes. But and if which I is don't very different from shows I don't expression.
1: know about Joseph Voice. I don't understand Joseph Boyce. I have to read. They let them read also. <laughs> you know, it's it's not easy to understand. The compl- you said the, the Africa compli- complicated. I would say complex, because it is as complex as Europe. I mean, the, the Europe is doing. We have a Basque problem now, dividing. We have hundreds of divisions happening exactly like in Africa and in the Middle East. It, complexity is is global. And and, and not being, a, to want to learn about something, they have to make an effort, yes, I'm sorry, you have to make an effort to understand us. The same way we made the effort, to understand the Joseph Beuys and, and, and so forth so on. All these artists work, whether conceptual, whether, you know, what is a Fontana, what is a, a Yves Klein, and what, are they important or not, and to what extent they are not modern academists of, uh, you know, 1914 and 1918. Uh, all of this, we have to study it the same way that others who are opening their their brain to Africa and Middle East, Arab world, or the rest of the world, have to learn about it. There is no
0: other way. We have to to have a knowledge. That's why I put knowledge is sweeter than honey. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess then to go back to your point about infrastructure and also publishing and the ways, I mean, if we're talking about people being able to learn and and access, then obviously there needs to be a point of access. Uh And something like this fair is obviously a great point of access for a lot of people being able to see a lot of work but if the only you know if the five books that are you know contemporary art from africa the five tomes that are in the in the bookshop here are the only way of being able to access uh, true critical kind of appraisal of artists work then that's not they're not going to necessarily have the mm-hmm. the point that you have with uh, 50 books about joseph boyce uh, that's, uh, one, true. Uh, that's yeah. true and and how and the distribution th- is an issue because
1: as i said earlier we don't have very good bookshops and even the bookshops in Europe are in crisis. You know, everybody wants to buy the main thing that through Amazon or the bookshop, and you go to WH Smith or you go to Waterstone, now it's mainstream. Mm-hmm. In order to get a, a book uh, specialized on art, you almost have to go to Freeze or Whitechapel or uh, Serpentine to go to those tiny bookshops in order to access a few books about art. So even in Europe, the crisis in terms of book and, and, and information, uh, I don't know to what extent the Google and the Internet can cover, but it does cover a lot. I mean, I am having the the young are extremely privileged. I, I can see films of the 1940s, 50s, Arab films on YouTube that, of course, it was for me so difficult to bring at NFT. I had to uh, restore them, translate them, put pay, uh, raise money to subtitle those Egyptian films. When I did the series on... Uh, Hollywood on the night, it was a very expensive thing. Now you can go to YouTube and, and you can see that for nothing. So there are, there are many, many new advantages that maybe the bookshops cannot cater, but but the internet information can cater. Uh, but we have to balance it. We have to balance, and hopefully there are libraries, and uh, in the Gulf, you mentioned the libraries. The number of time I offered books Let's say to the Qatar Museum. There is a librarian there, the books are there, whoever wants to take, take. nothing is archived. It's terrible. I mean, this is a country with tons of money, with a museum that is brand new, and yet they don't have a librarian or the infrastructure, and they cannot spend on the brain, or to train people to become. So it's a, quite a catastrophic state. I don't know what, in Dubai, what is, where, which library do you go to, except Bidun Library.
0: Oh, well, they, the government is trying to start now with libraries, and they're doing... Yes, well. but how
1: many years does it take to make a, a bloody library? You know, <laughs> with the money that, uh, that the, region Hotel. Has, uh, the, the region has, the region has these empty spaces they have. They have the whole desert, you know. It's, it takes two minutes to build, uh, to build a building, uh, and, and we have to have... Today, I, I came from Beirut, and I was very happy that despite the two million refugees, Syrian refugees in Beirut, Beirut is opening this month now two museums. And in the next five years, we will have 10 museums. And there is a public for it. And the galleries are doing well. In Iran, despite all the sanctions and the crisis where you cannot send a penny to any Iranian artist, you cannot receive anything from them and so on, all the galleries are selling better than London. So if somebody comes and says, "Oh, I want to open a gallery on Iranian artists in London, I said, no, go and do it in Tehran. You are, you are better off uh, commercially there because there is more support locally, and they don't sanction you for promoting your own art. So there is all this sanction. If you have an African name now, there are even, I think Somalia is under sanction, Egypt, Sudan, everybody is terrorist. So you cannot promote uh, almost African art if it's uh, within Africa. It it, it is a big issue. Mm. It is a big issue.
0: I wanted to ask you, just quickly on uh, digital publishing, I don't know if you know of any... Uh, initiatives to, because I mean, the e-books would obviously be the the easiest way forward. Because distribution of magazines and books within the Arab world is very, very difficult. Because of all the. Uh uh, difficulties of moving sure. things around mm. but um, I don't know if you know of many no, of no, not
2: really. I mean at our uh, scale we're trying in the gallery in Tunisia to uh, to have a proper library where people can come and, mm. and spend time because even uh, the students who go to Les Beaux-Arts uh, in Tunis, they have a big problem with, um, they cannot find books they cannot buy online a book that is in Paris because they not, cannot pay in euros because the, the of the currency problem, so uh, I can see many of them, the ones who can travel or who can ask someone, so they bring for them books, but otherwise they don't have um, access to uh, to anything in terms of uh, the the libraries are really in a
0: in a very bad shape. In schools already not. Uh, yeah. Not and I think in, if it's anything like the Gulf was when, then uh, books in Arabic are very difficult to, to access as well, and all the universities are really... Well, then the, lang- up the language
2: as so well, because in Tunisia, I mean, uh, students study in French, yes. and then most of the books uh, are in English, so there is also
0: that, um, that problem... Uh, I guess we should mention the Zinsu Foundation, who are doing fantastic things with mobile libraries. From my understanding, mm-hmm. as well, Zinsu in uh, uh, Benin,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and that model of kind of taking books on a mobile library out to communities is something that's really interesting. Oh, that's interesting yeah. How are we doing for time, Koyo? I didn't know whether you were gesturing at me or not okay. to k- open up for questions. We could keep going for a long time. We could, okay? Um, so just to pick up on something you were saying, Rose, which was about movement within the continent of Africa and meeting points as well. I mean, we have uh, for sure in the Middle East, and I don't know, uh, and I guess for North Africa as well, at the moment, a kind of crisis of movement. It's very hard for people to get visas to travel anywhere within, unfortunately. Uh So uh, cities like London, I guess, become a meeting point where it's potentially uh, slightly easier, anyway, for people to get visas sometimes. But I mean, within the, the continent itself, uh, you mentioned Bamako, there's obviously Dakar as well, okay. of places Wagadudu where for cinema. Uh,
1: you know, Tunis in the ni- uh, 90s and uh, late 90s and even beginning of 20, was the most, most important place for, let's say, African cinema. All the Arab African filmmakers were meeting there. And either it was one year we went all to Wagadudu and one year to Tunis. Mm. So, Carthage Film Festival, Carthage yeah. music had lots of African musicians. Today, Morocco has still Sufi music. In, in Marrakesh. you have uh, festivals of music. So, the communication. In, inland, people don't have problem with borders. These are... All the artists call themselves nomads because, frankly, when I see the, the guy who looks Senegalese, he is black, tall. He lives in... He doesn't know if he lives in Beirut. He lives between Beirut, Paris, and New York. This is where he studied. Uh, at DC, so where, these are nomads. Art, artists are becoming more and more nomads. I would say even curators. I would say even collectors who are jumping from one art fair to another. People are, are becoming, you know, travelers who are trying to find their own interest and their own direction in what is it that they want. And. Uh, and, and, and this nomadic uh, way of traveling uh, uh, is, is normal. We have here Walid City from Kurdistan. Very often, they tell him Iraq, Arab. I mean, if you're a Kurd, maybe you can be offended by being Arab, but on the other hand, because he's very flexible, he accepts to be called Iraqi, Arab, Kurd, anything, Middle Eastern. He doesn't care as long as your work is ex- exhibited mm-hmm. and it's well exhibited and with a good uh, uh, gallery or with a good biennale and with a good text. Uh, you know, these things are important. Uh, recently you were in Bruges, I think, for the Biennale of Bruges. So, so it's, it, is, it is really uh, something that we, we have to think of. Uh, if, if people are more broad-minded and they are more concerned about what is around them, then uh, I think somehow the African artists, or, or let's say countries a little bit in trouble or with less infrastructure, are expressing their needs much better than others. And I think, for example, the Western art is quite now, it's talk and much more decorative uh, than the African art I see here.
0: I mean, I guess we did, this is a, a much bigger topic, and I don't know whether we can address it now, but about the spheres of influences between artists. So one uh, a couple of years ago at the fair, we began... The new section, Art Dubai Modern, which is looking at the 20th century, um, and we show solo and two-person shows from uh, artists that were from South Asia, the Middle East, um, and Africa. And it's been the most interesting kind of enterprise when you find these links between artists, and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily the the ones that are assumed between East and West, or the you know the influence of Paris or, or London necessarily, but also links between artists across the South-South, if you, if you like those kind of words. So I think it's been very interesting to kind of reinforce this idea that global, our globalisation and the the kind of uh, global art world elite we're talking about now who can who can flit around from fair to fair and influence each other and go to college wherever they like. You know, that there was actually a time in the 20th century of greater movement and almost a kind of reconsideration of what globalisation and the global means. And it's been a really fascinating kind of enterprise. But just I was thinking now about those opportunities for artists to actually influence each other between the different countries within Africa and between the Middle East and Africa and I guess we're looking really more at the moment about these kinds of centers like, like London becoming a point where people can actually meet or potentially Dubai, mm-hmm. where people can connect with each other.
1: The, uh, just before passing the word, yes. Get, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, 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 the issue is somebody like Edor Said said that many years ago before dying that uh, you know even Western modernism in the beginning of the century had parents and their parents, you know, when Art Deco had Pharaonic Art. Uh, Picasso was inspired by uh, African art, Giacometti the same, uh, Matisse by Morocco, uh, uh, Paul Klee by Tunisia, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all this mixture, when, when Africans take from the West or the West takes from other places, this this is uh, a love for something or a, a source of inspiration. Uh, I, th- I think taking is not, I, actually today, there are horrible things that I see in the art fairs, people exactly copying exactly Andy Warhol, and the gallery tells me this is appropriation and ro- a new movement, Rose. I said, but it hasn't changed anything. What do you mean appropriation? And they are selling it for three, $400,000. So, you know, everything is, is going through every way. Everything is acceptable. I think what is important is that artists who are even known internationally, whether from Africa or Middle East or anywhere, I mean, these are places I know, at the end, at the end, if they make it because they are true to themselves, and there is something about their identity that comes true, because that is the original. and no Westerner can be them. Uh, not a Western artist can be Yinka Shobinare or uh, Gottfried. Don't go. so, so you cannot be, because you cannot be in Dawi, even if they try to. So the, 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 the singularity is important, originality is important. I mean, these are very banal things to say. But uh, they, the identity always comes true, no matter how global, and it was always global. When you p- see the map of Africa 300, 400 years ago, it still was called Africa. The colons came and left, you know, people come and divide and go, and the names change, and so so what? The people are there. Uh, and that is the most important thing, I think.
0: Thank you. Um, I think, yeah, well, how many, we have maybe five minutes, so a, a couple of questions. Would anybody like to, to ask anything? Oh, ten minutes. Good. Anybody like to ask? Anything? Okay,
4: great. Oh, thank you so much, Rose, Antonia, and Selma. Uh, I just wanted to, to to say that it is important that the the narrative of there is nothing ends in the in the sense that we've been hearing this since ever sort of like there is nothing in Africa, in the idea that we have to bring them everything. And we have internalized this narrative somehow. And I really think that it's very important to make, not the divisions, but to to make the nuances and, and place things in perspective. From which point of view are you talking in saying there is nothing? Infrastructurally, I think that uh, contemporary africa provides more or less everything that is necessary to build and to nourish a strong cultural and artistic environment now my personal concern and professional concern is how that infrastructure performs and how is it activated in order to to really provide what it needs to provide for artistic development, for critical discourse, for exhibition, for publications, and so on. And we know that, and I always come back to it because I think that it's a long digestion that we still have to go through, that colonial enterprise has imprinted mechanisms and methods that are still at play today. Because you see it, for instance, in ca- those countries that were colonized by the French, they have totally inherited the legacy of the French, of how the French treat arts and culture. So you would find museums, you would find arts academies, but today the biggest question is not, if for, for in my point of view, not even anymore uh, that imprint, but how? What do we do with that imprint? Are we creating new models? Are we creating appropriated models? And how, if we do so, how do we activate them for them to serve us all? So I, I, I really believe that, um, and somehow uh, I really believe that it is it is really a matter of what. Kind of infrastructure do we work with? How can what kind of? And it needs everything. I mean, uh, galleries is a, is a, is not only a commercial activity; it's also a cultural activity. It's a very um, um, courageous for anyone be it on the commercial side or on the well. critical side, even to engage in arts and culture in those territories that we live in. So, and uh, and I strongly believe that it is it is uh, it is important to disrupt those, those uh, imprints somehow. And, and somehow, a change, a change. in the last 10, 15 years, there is... Uh, a changing landscape in, uh, in Africa and the Middle East. And there is another generation of young professionals and engaged people who see the, 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 the landscape differently and who are drawing new cartographies, who are establishing new routes, who are, you know, working towards a more integrated understanding of of artistic and intellectual production. So there is not that there is nothing. There is a lot. And we just have to activate it and inhabit it in a way that it serves us and that it performs for us. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you, Kyo, for saying that. I hope I didn't project the fact that we
1: had nothing. (laughs) Uh, Because really this is not what I was thinking. What I was thinking is that we like maybe the Western infrastructure. However, for example, and, and many are big artists like Sihar Majani and others said, when I go to a bazaar in Istanbul, in Iran, in Africa, in a market, for me this is almost 10 times more exciting than any museum in the West. There is you know, the, 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 the fashion, the, the way people dress, the way the, the markets are, the liveliness. I don't say it's art or not, but there is something happening there that maybe it's not happening elsewhere. However, uh, what I found out that that is not yet done, and it should be done, and if there are any teachers here, I will tell them that I see more and more people getting PhDs or MAs on on art uh, from our region by just going to the same famous artists and writing the same thing and, and so on and so forth. Instead of taking a camera and going and registering what an old artist in a town in village, in Africa, in, the, in, in Egypt, in uh, Tunis, or elsewhere, almost dying artists, and so on. Nobody has recorded their archives. They, are, they have fantastic uh, catalogs and brochures from the 30s, 40s, 60s, and these have not been recorded, and I would really encourage, because there was a time where I, now I refuse, of course, since 10 years to read any more PhDs and correct them, because it takes a lot of time, and I said to the teachers, you are not qualified to give PhD. Why are you giving them? Send them just to film. The artist, let the artist speak, let us have archives, films about the people who witness the, the, the development of our art scene. And these are the basis of, uh, I think, of our infrastructure. Those old artists, those early galleries who very modestly did, you know, one invitation card, one catalog. Uh, and I think these, these need to be collected and uh, we have to put our, uh, I was encouraging Selma, I said, you know, why don't you go and film the old uh, artists who are there and who are working with your mom and, and so on and so forth, because these are not collected items and, and we need to archive our own histories uh, before, before expecting anyone else to comment yeah. on that. And once the documentation is there, then there are no less lies and less, uh, Diversion about what is important, what are our priorities. Um, you are a wonderful scholar. I, I met Koyo in, in Venice Biennale. Uh, I'm not a scholar. And, uh, before, and, and no, I will tell you why. And it was wonderful. What an uplifting thing. For the first time, I saw almost non Westerners on a jury a Japanese director of a museum, Indian, from Africa, from elsewhere. And it was a fantastic year for me. It's a very eye opener. And I think your people like you, your presence is extremely important, and, and we have to clone you. <laughs> it's true.
0: Stop
1: it's true. It. We, we need no, no. It's not a compliment, but it, we need we need more people who who have different perspectives and who can uh, project
0: what are the real concerns. And this, I'm always interested. I think we all want to clone Kyo. That should be the sort of. Mm-hmm. And part of the talk discussion, but just to pick up on what you were saying about new models, I and mean, I think that's what's really interesting here because, I mean, we need to obviously the the, the issue of the archive is absolutely paramount, and it, there is a feeling I, amongst so many colleagues that time is running out on, on on preserving the archive. But then, what do you do with it afterwards? And I think that's what's super interesting. So, uh, I mean, and. Rather than think of uh, importing previous models, importing franchises of museums or art schools or whatever, but to think how how can things be done anew that's that's more appropriate for a certain city or a certain space, and that actually forces the institution to be to be rethought. And I think that's what is really interesting. And so YouTube thinking Africa of uh, maybe. Well,
1: exactly. Well, Something on the internet, exactly. YouTube Africa, where all these films, all these archives, all these bibliographies. I mean, there, there is a wonderful bibliography on Africa that the National Museum of Africa has done. It has several volumes, and you mm. cannot imagine the number of uh, studies that have been done already. But it has been sort of not promoted or ignored, or very specialist. Only who five or six who are doing their PhD have access or access it. But I think at some stage, those those bibliography and those references are
0: going to be accessible to everybody, hopefully.
3: Mm.
0: So rather than a lack, it should be seen as
3: an opportunity, I enough. guess, inshallah. Yes. Mm. Hello. Uh, my name is Sarita Mansuri. Um I just wanted to add to what you said. Um, the National Museum of African Art, the Smithsonian, are very generous with, with their bibliographies, um, I mean, I established a visual art library in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, and the librarian there donated the set of bibliographies um, that she um, that she produced um, to the library. And there are lots of organisations um, globally that are happy to donate lots of books to new initiatives on the continent. And I think just to add that, there are lots of, again, lots of small independent initiatives that are taking place across the African continent. And often we are looking to... The, um, to the Koyos, to Bissies, to the N'Gorno files we're looking to those um, individuals who have who have kind of set the scene um, for all of us um, over the last few of last few decades um oh, decade or so and um, and yeah and just doing amazing things um, and just to just to, yeah just to add again that there are lots of really interesting small projects that are taking place yes. um, on the continent and maybe they're not known about um, in the west um, but there are things that are happening I'm
0: sure Sure. Thank you. I think there was another question behind as well. I saw the quality of the Bamako
1: uh, art fair. I mean, it's stunning. The catalog. they produce, stunning. I mean, these are exceptional documentation.
4: Hello, I'm Nancy Hines. Um,
1: just to ask a question that takes us back to the beginning, um, in the question of this sort of sometimes unconscious divide between North and South Africa. You told the anecdote about Africa 95 and the committee that sort of questioned whether to have North African artists. In your perspective, um, Rose, has this changed over the past 20 years? Uh, I hope so, I think so. I don't, I can't say uh, really. I know that uh, very often in the forums, people are seeing Middle East, is it Middle East? I mean, I'm not interested or of the definition. The words are nothing. The, the place is there. I mean, all, all the people are, are crossing the desert if they have to on camels, on trucks, on, on jeeps. Uh, so, uh, so this is not an issue really of concern to the Africans themselves. How the West is defining the, the borders of North Africa. There are so many, the, is it? Uh, Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I mean, uh, and, and, and also the fact that the races, even within Egypt itself, if you're darker or lighter, these things exist, the Nubians of the south, but the, the issue is really uh, a matter of to what extent you are open uh, to more knowledge, and the more you know, the more these things uh, uh, become relevant, maybe if you do a thesis on a very specific thing, but non-relevant. I just wondered in terms of an exhibition if if you were someone was proposing another Africa remix. uh, I because I do things when I understand the language and if I did sometime African artists and I presented African artists because nobody else was doing it. I did Indian art at some stage at the White on the top of White because nobody was doing Indian art we're talking of 30 years ago 25 years ago and because there was no platform for them, today there are many galleries because the market of Indian art went well, everybody has some Indian art, in, in, uh, uh, is representing the same way the Middle Eastern market is doing well, there are so many galleries, so I don't feel that I'm, uh, I'm doing uh, something of, of really urgency. And urgency for me is important. What is urgent today, that's why I want to do more publication and more documentaries about old artists, young artists. Why do we always see them when they are, the only film on Edward's side is almost when he had cancer on it, one, se- one foot on the grave. I want to, to show works when he was gorgeous, sexy, interesting, a pianist, and so on. We don't have those documentation. And, and it's a pity. We have to document young, old, middle, middle-aged people, women, men, and that, that is, I think, something that will be of some use to some academician later. I, I don't see it. Uh, I'm because I, want, I speak Arabic and so on. No, I concentrate because there are October galleries doing African and other galleries. So I leave the expertise to those who are more expert to me. But at the time when nobody was doing it, I was doing it. And I was interested because I thought these are good artists. They should be better known. Let's give them a platform. Let's, you know, exhibit them. But when there are other platforms, um, I would like to welcome others. I contact many galleries. I say, please take that. Please take that. And uh, when I see a good artist, I want to promote them.
0: Maybe I can just turn the question over to Salma very quickly before we... Do you see a change in the way that uh, North Africa is understood within the continent?
2: Within Africa? Um, I I don't think I feel any change because, uh, I mean, North Africa um, is, is just part of... Part of Africa. I mean, we feel, uh, we consider ourselves. We are Africans. So, I don't see that there is. There always been, as I said, um, uh, an exchange, a very interesting exchange between artists uh, from uh, Mauritania, Senegal, Bamako, and then connecting uh, through uh, Dakar uh, Biennial or uh, Les Rencontres de Bamako. So. uh, I don't. I don't see like things changing uh, between North Africa or Central Africa. I just
1: no. Uh, sometimes the economy doesn't help. Let's let's say when you had the Carthage film festival, you had lots of African filmmakers there, and today there aren't. You know, there are very few fewer coming. They are coming again this year. Good. Good. This year. <laughs> uh, sorry. I think
0: we have two minutes left. So just we have one question. Yeah. Yes.
5: The microphone should yes.
0: go there. Oh here, yeah, sorry. I, th- I saw another hand. It's okay.
5: yeah. um, no, I was actually, I wanted to get to archive because you talked quite a bit of archive and I think it's really important and um, um, it's the state of the archive and where does archive fit in, in, in the um, uh, space of art? Does it fit in art? Does it fit in just TV? And then how do you deal with archive? Because I think it's one of the most important things archiving the memory and this, this dialogue with our past, which has never really happened, um, and trying to even access archive, uh, good luck. <laughs> so how do you uh, see this integration? I can't remember, I, I think it was you, Rose, who was talking uh, about the importance of archive.
1: Yes, I mean, if we're talking of, each country is different, you know, now, Unfortunately, in the last three, four, five, or ten years, with the, let's say, the whole of the Arab world, with the fall of Iraq, and now the fall of Syria, the, ter- the turmoil in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Libya, the distru- total destruction. We cannot talk of archive. I mean, uh, I, I was tell you, even if you collect the archive, the Palestinians had their archive in Beirut, it was bombed. The first thing that the Israelis, when they invaded Lebanon, they destroyed it. So, you know, the archives are are, are something that uh, we have to do constantly and, and uh, non stop. Uh, in the case of Beirut, for example, Arab Foundation for l'Image, they are collecting uh, imagery from the Arab world, from North Africa, and so on. But I think also Africa, I don't know if there is the equivalent of uh, uh, Foundation African for Image, uh, does exist. For example, is somebody collecting all the old. Uh, archive uh, old photo- photography Just of Africa. I'm sure it exists. I'm sure they are not yet well-known because those trendy Lebanese guys do good PR and maybe the African ones, are, they don't give a damn about doing PR, as well, but they are uh, archiving their own histories. I think these things exist. We know—we le- we well, don't know enough exist. about
2: them. They, they we don't know exist. enough I, about I, them, I unfortunately. Oui, la maison de l'image. The communication yeah. is not yet global. Uh, One that opened uh, in Tunisia two years ago, La Maison de l'Image, which was the initiative of two young uh, photographers. So they've been uh, actually in contact with the, the Lebanese... Uh mm-hmm.
0: There's also a new photography museum in, in Morocco as well that I think is yes. also archiving. Yeah. So, so, so there, are a lot so of there is uh, definitely no, initiative. I, was, I, I guess I was asking
5: more about how do you... When you were talking about urgencies and you are talking about... Uh, all these older people. Yes. Where, where, how do you propose integrating it into the narrative and the discourse of the existing arts, I guess? I spend half my life uh, unearthing uh, archive. It's like a dig. Oh. <laughs> so they exist. Images exist, and, uh, but you really have to want to find them. Uh, but what I'm interested in, in hearing you exchange what about is archive. where do you place them within the uh, configuration?
1: Where I place them, I don't know. I, I feel that I have to do with them. Where it will go later on, for example, many of the books we did are already out of print within less than a year. So, you know, hopefully people have bought it and somebody has it somewhere. I usually send it to major 20, 50, 20 to 50 major museum who are interested in the subject. And then where it goes, you know, you, you cannot. Personally, I'm very hands-on person. Uh, I, I was I have. Background as a mathematician and a journalist, uh, but I worked in art because I, there was nobody else doing it. Not because I, you know, I wanted to, to do uh, that as a as, as a profession. I had no choice. And and the fact that uh, you you do things because it was needed, the same way you do publication, you do films, you do. The, uh, you, we have to do it. Uh, if I had other choices, I would have done other things. But. Uh, uh, how do I see how it evolves, where it is stored? We, we have been there documentation at BFI that we have done so many festivals. There are brochures, there are people can uh, get information. Uh, how it is absorbed and to what extent, I have no idea.
0: I think we could maybe end on two notes of hope. One of which is it seems to be, um, well, in, in my understanding and experience, often falling to the art world to do the archiving, which gives us hope. I think, because it's presumably artists that can look at those uh, you know, archives in a very complex way and tease out uh, ideas and threads and debates from those archives, uh, which is something that could, if the um, Arab Image Foundation is somebody to follow, for example, they've done an incredible job of working with those archives, bringing them alive, showing their complexity and showing them in a very contemporary way as well, so that's a, a big hope. And the other, way, I guess, is to think of kind of online initiatives, which lots of people are starting to do in terms of dissemination, which is gives us so much more um, so much more reach. And um, I think that the two sort of, or the combined regions that we're talking about have a very high, uh, a very high sort of usage of, of the internet, of social media, of kind of, and, and of phones. So that's something that where there's a huge amount of, of hope. I think we have to stop, don't we, Koya? So I just want to say thank you very much thank to, to Rose, yeah, Isa, and also to Salma Friani. Thank you
3: for